Good morning. Good to be with you all today. Uh, as you know, this fall we're looking at how God desires for us to communicate love in our most important relationships. And we've discovered that we all experience love in different ways. And so we're highlighting what are called five specific love languages. And it's through these various love languages that we both express love to others and, and receive love from others. The five love languages were first developed by Dr. Gary Chapman, uh, really as a way to help married couples better understand and grow in their relationships. But the love languages are not just applicable to married couples. They apply to teens and singles and widows and widowers, to parents, grandparents. Everybody actually uses the five love languages whether they realize it or not. So this morning if I happen to talk about married couples and you're not in that category, I don't want you to switch your brain off. I think you're just going to have to work a little bit harder to think through how to apply the principles of what we're saying and apply them to your life, your situation. And so today we're talking about the second love language, which is quality time. Let's hear a description of quality time given by the Lord to parents over 2,000 years ago. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. It says, These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Let's pray together. Lord, in the brief time that we have this morning, we pray that it would be quality time time where we're open to hearing what your spirit would say, that you'd take the words that I've prepared, Lord, and and use them for your good purposes in each one of our lives, Lord. And so we just open our hearts to you right now, ask for your spirit to instruct us, and we thank you for that in Christ's name, amen. An oddball story was written back in the 1970s by a Polish-American novelist by the name of Jerzy Kaczynski. It was called Being There. And some of you may remember that it was made into an Oscar award-winning movie starring Peter Sellers. It's about a simple-minded man named Chance who has lived his entire life in a home owned by a wealthy man in Washington, D.C. Chance has had no contact with the outside world ever. All Chance has ever done is to tend the walled garden in the inside of the home and to watch TV. That's all He knows his only human interaction has been with a maid who cooks all his meals. And because he's been so isolated, his mind and his emotions have never really had a chance to develop. And so he's just sort of a a blank screen. And when his benefactor suddenly dies, the attorneys uh, handling the estate kick Chance out on the street. And he's forced to leave his sheltered existence and go out into the world for the very first time. Well, through a number of comic circumstances, Chance uh, is befriended by a very wealthy and powerful D.C. couple. The man is a business tycoon. He's a top advisor to the President of the United States. And when they and their friends get together with Chance and they ask him questions, the only way Chance knows how to respond is with lines that he's memorized from TV shows or maybe little things about his garden. So he just repeats all these little platitudes but they think he's brilliant. 
they interpret his simplistic answers as this kind of deep kind of Zen wisdom about business and government and, and the state of the American economy. Pretty soon, he's the sought-after guest on the D.C. cocktail party circuit. He's a media celebrity who's on all the Sunday morning talk shows. Public opinions polls show that his simple wisdom is resonating with the American public. And as the novel ends, Chance becomes the president's top economic advisor. I think he might still be there. (laughs) You see, the title, Being There is so ironic because Chance isn't there at all. I mean, he's there physically, but he has no idea of what's happening around him or what people are talking about. He's he's just a blank page. He's an empty suit, a mirror in which people see what they want to see. They hear what they want to hear from him, but there's, there's really nothing there. He's with people, but he isn't really with them at all. I don't know about you, But I've done that. I've done that to people. Being with people, but not really being there with them. Not really being present with them. I mean, has that ever happened to you? Someone is talking to you and your mind just kind of drifts to something you forgot to do or the next thing you're supposed to do or you've stopped listening altogether because you're already formulating the words for your response. You're distracted by other things. Maybe you're glancing over to the TV set or another person or you're just caught up in your own thoughts. You're still looking at the person. You vaguely hear their voice kind of droning on in the background, but you're not there. Your mind has glazed over, sort of like when you pretend to listen to a sermon. Uh, Quality time, quality time is about undivided attention. It's not about the amount of time you spend with someone, but what you do with the time you do have. And boy, do we all struggle with that. After all, isn't this the age of multitasking? of trying to do two or three or even four things at once. This is the age of the electronic leash, which means you can never really get away from the office. You've got your email, text matches, news headlines, Facebook status, game scores, stock quotes. And I bet we all know the frustration of trying to talk with someone when they're checking all their stuff on their smartphone. And you realize the person is not there with you at all. I mean, physically you could be standing right next to you, but you feel like you're on the other side of the moon. And so you feel disrespected, unappreciated, undervalued. This inability to give our focused attention to each other is really a blight upon our relationships. You're there, but you're not really there. The only thing we'd have to do to update that story about chance is just to put a blackberry in his hand. Folks, we want, we need We crave undivided attention from those that we love. Wives and husbands, parents and children, friends and family. We all need undivided attention. There might be areas where multitasking is okay, but for the important things in life, we want and we need focus. You know, if I'm having heart surgery, I don't want a doctor who's good at multitasking. You know, I want his or her 100% concentration. And studies show that multitasking really means you're half-tasking because you divide up your attention, and the more divided you are, the less you're able to bring your best to any one particular task. So generally, you perform things more poorly when you multitask. I mean, I've burned a few dinners trying to multitask while I cook. 
it's possible to burn your relationships too. Quality time has to do with focused attention. And I know we all struggle with that. In the Midtown Fellowship Group that I lead in Manhattan, I would say the number one topic that we return to over and over again is the struggle to find quality time with friends and family. The tendency is to try and store it up all the time and pack it into a weekend. You know, you got that 48 hours. And then by Sunday night, you're more exhausted than you were at the end of the work week. But it goes deeper than that. This week I was reading about a consultant who was working with an executive vice president of a major corporation and who was obviously distracted during a team meeting. And during the break time, the consultant took the man aside and asked him, you know, just what's up? And he said, well, at breakfast that morning, he was sort of reading the paper, half watching CNN, sort of having a conversation with his wife. And after a minute, his wife just started crying. And he offered something lame along the lines of, it'll be okay, honey, we'll work it out tonight. The only problem was he was so engrossed in the newspaper and his own thoughts in the day ahead that he hadn't even heard his wife say that the breast biopsy had come back positive. And so now he had a serious uphill battle to try and repair all the damage that he had done with his wife as well as his wife's diagnosis. No wonder he was distracted. You see, you can multitask a lot of things. You cannot multitask relationships. Your risk factor goes up exponentially when you treat people that way. You not only risk kind of taking your eye off the ball, but you risk that ball curving around and hitting you in the back of the head. The number one relationship complaint I hear is we don't have time. We don't have time. And I'm going to focus on married couples here. But most married couples start off together You know, everything they can possibly do to try and find time to spend time with each other. When they're dating or engaged, nothing is more important than being with that person that you love. It's fresh and it's exciting and it touches your heart, your dreams, your deepest wants. You take walks at night, you look at the stars, you look at each other. It's great, but along the way, life happens. The longer the relationship, the longer the couple is together... The not-so-great thing is that you can't always sustain that same level of intensity, that same level of togetherness. Life happens. Children happen. You have to make a living. You have to keep up the apartment or the house. Life gets complicated, and people can start to drift away. One woman blogger put it this way, work, sleep, cooking, cleaning, shopping, school, doing the garden, swimming lessons, ballet lessons, brownies, seeing friends, running the house, organizing stuff, paying bills, laundry, doctor's appointments, checking on my mom, the list goes on and on. Spending time with my husband drops off the list. It's not that it isn't important, but if someone would just make the day longer, then I'd have time. Another man writes, I look back to the time when we could while away a whole evening with just a takeout dinner and a bottle of wine. Nothing flashy or anything. Just the two of us. That was so good, it just doesn't happen anymore. What couples often fail to realize is that their relationship has to constantly adapt. It's like getting updates for your computer programs. You have to stay current in your relationships. People unintentionally begin to take their love for granted and sort of fall into this autopilot mode in their marriages. Even for happy relationships, this is a serious hazard. It's so normal to get busy, to get distracted, to focus on 
the kids or the house or the career. At first it feels normal, but that doesn't mean it's healthy. In any relationship, there's a point where you kind of start to feel comfortable and safe. And the misconception is that when you found that long-term love, you can kind of put your feet up. You don't automatically stop and think, could we be neglecting each other? Could we be forgetting to cherish what makes our relationships so unique and amazing? It's easy to slip into taking love for granted, that it will always be as strong as it once was, but it's not true. Relationships can become incredibly lonely. Healthy relationships require a constant reinvestment of energy, of love, of creativity, and time. Without that intentional reinvestment, you know, a person can just feel like wallpaper because being in the same house at the same time doesn't mean you're really with each other. And then it's easier to avoid facing the problem or changing the pattern. You just stay preoccupied with other things. When couples focus most of their energy on something other than their mates, their communication sort of dwindles to what's for supper or where's the mail. Without undivided attention, there can be no strong emotional connection. And without that emotional connection, the relationship begins to go numb. So how do you interrupt that disconnected pattern? How do you need to change to restore emotional closeness in your important relationships? Well, the first step is to really be intentional with your time. Be intentional. Missionary martyr Jim Elliott expressed it this way. Wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. You have to develop the habit or the skill of intentionally focusing your full attention on the person you are with at that moment. You have to be there. That's why I like this passage that I read from Deuteronomy. Let me read a portion of it again. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you give it up. When the ancient Hebrews used opposite expressions like that, when you sit down and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, what they meant was all the time. That was their way of saying all the time, the whole day. In other words, the the scripture is describing a whole lifestyle. Whatever you're doing, make this a part of who you are. It's a lifestyle that you embrace in an intentional way of living. And that's what's required if you want to speak the love language of quality time. Whether that's with your spouse or a friend, your children, whoever it might be, you begin doing things together where you intentionally give your focused attention to the other person in whatever activity that you're engaged in. The activity itself is really incidental. It could be washing the dishes. It could be working in the yard. It could be anything. The activity itself isn't important. The activity is simply a vehicle that can create the sense of togetherness. But the emphasis is on the two of you, or however many there are of you, if it's a family event. Quality time is not just watching TV together. Because neither of you are really engaged with the other person. You're not really learning or discovering anything new about the other person. The key to quality time is that it requires intentionality and a lot of creativity. Second, 
Creating quality time means redeeming the time you already have. Creating quality time doesn't mean that you have to have have some massive reorganization of your entire life overnight. You know, people often go to these big extremes, and, and that never really works. That's too big a leap. Sometimes people try to make up for the lack of quality time by planning some huge, enormous weekend or, or a whirlwind family vacation to Disneyland so that you can all be together nonstop for five days straight. And then everybody comes home hating each other even more. One massive thing will not make up for all the lost hours. Quality time is not a one-shot, big-fix kind of issue. It requires a different approach to your whole lifestyle. You know, I love a big Thanksgiving dinner, but I need to eat every day. And the same thing is true with quality time. You have to capture the little bits of quality time that you already have. Maybe it's riding in the car to the store or the practice. I remember one time I was kind of complaining about all the, to a friend about all the driving that I had to do with my son to his sports, and, and he said, you know what, that's your best time. That's your best time because you've got a captive audience. You're there side by side in the car together. If you can get the earplugs out, that's the time to have your best conversations. You capture, you redeem that time together. The key is to be intentional about it. And the third thing really is to unplug for a while, to turn off the electronics. The world will not end if you turn off your BlackBerry for a while or take out your earbuds, or, or miss, a, miss something on TV. Last Sunday, Donna said to me, you know, we've been like ships passing in the night this fall. It's just been so busy. And so she suggested that we take a, our dog for a long walk in the afternoon after church. Well, Sunday afternoon, you have to understand, that's my low tide. I mean, I am energy depleted when I come home after a, a Sunday morning. So I'm exhausted, and it would be so much easier for me to say, no, I, you know, I just want to watch football this afternoon. But watching television does nothing to restore your own energy or to build your relationship. So I said, okay. Now, we didn't talk about anything all that important. We didn't solve any of the world's problems. But we were together. And being together is a way of saying to that other person, you're more important than anything else I could be doing right now. And being intentionally together on a regular basis is what quality time is all about. Maybe you need to unplug for a while. And a final thing I've been suggesting recently for couples is what I call the two-minute drill. You, can always, you can't always have that weekly date night or that time together, but you can connect for 120 seconds every day. Even the busiest people can do this, and I suggest kind of pick a time when you can consistently find two minutes together for each other. Maybe it's after the kids go to bed. You know, I really encourage people to kind of develop the habit of going to bed at the same time so that you're on the same kind of schedule because that's, that's the time to connect the best. But two minutes to talk about your day, your life, and your feelings. No finger pointing. The other person just listens. And then after two minutes, you trade. The other person can talk about their day for two minutes. It's just a, a daily check-in for each other, especially to do it at the end of the day and kind of just have that little bit of connection. It's crucial to have one-to-one talk every day, even if it's while you're lying in bed at night getting ready to turn out the light. It doesn't work to wait until the weekend. 
you can drift too far apart in those seven days. What you're doing is really reminding each other of why you're so important to each other, why you fell in love in the first place. It's not so much about the amount of time that you spend together, it's what you do with the time you do have together. You know, it was Ben Franklin who said, time is money. So spend yours wisely. Spend it on the people who are really most valuable in your life. Folks, it is so easy to drift out of sync in your relationships when you let life become, you know, just a big to-do list. Your marriage, your family, your friendships, you can feel like you're just on a tag team, on parallel tracks that, that never connect. Quality time is what makes people feel valuable. Quality time for the people that we love. I really want to live by Jim Elliott's words. Wherever I am, I want to be all there. I hope you do too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you just for the way that you live this. That you had the time to call Zacchaeus out of a tree and say, let's go to your house and I want to have a meal with you. You had time to stop for a beggar on the side of the road. You had time to let children climb into your lap. You had time for a woman who was distraught. You were able to take time with people and give focused attention. And Lord, may we learn that. We don't intentionally become so distracted. But it takes effort. It takes energy. It takes commitment. And I pray, Lord, as we think about this upcoming week and how we're going to use our time, or maybe even this afternoon, not looking for a huge change, but Lord, give us that intentionality to see the little bits of time that we have, that we can change to allow people to know how valuable they really are to us. We thank you now in Christ's name.